how do you know if you pay the ransom that they're going to release you? I mean, how do you trust somebody? That's, how do you trust a criminal? You really don't. Hey, guys, you know I've been trying to locate a machine monitoring system that is easy to install with minimal onboarding, right? I have to tell you, Amper Technologies reached out to me. Akshat, their founder, has been on the show before. He sent me two units to install on my CNCs under their 30-day pilot program. It's been nothing but easy peasy. Ryan snapped them on. We waited a few days to validate and collect the data, and away we go. Check them out at amper.xyz and look under products for their pilot program. Bam. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you're connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Hey, I'm doing well. We are cranking today. Yeah, we're here at MXD again, and MXD is actually the hub for manufacturing cybersecurity. I don't know if you knew that or not, Jim, but that's what we're going to be talking about today is cybersecurity basics. When you say hub, they are considered the National Center for Cybersecurity and Manufacturing. I had no idea. We're in the right place. We're in the right place. Exactly. So, Jim, cybersecurity, it's in the news all the time. Uh, Yeah, the pipeline, all that kind of stuff, the meat company, exactly. What would you do if somebody took down your entire system? Would you just quit and retire? Be like, Ryan, here's the keys. I would drink a lot of booze first and then worry about what I'm Would you cry? I probably would. I'm worried. I talk to my employees about it all the time. I'm like, we've got to do something about this. We've got to... Well, that's why we're talking we've got about to, I'm making chips. No, we've, we've got to create a partnership with somebody because I've got computers all throughout my whole shop. Everybody's online. We have a web-based system. Thank God we're only using that. But I can't monitor what they're... I can, but I'm not going to we monitor... We need standards and processes and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about the basics of cybersecurity today. And then... We're also going to talk about some related subjects to cybersecurity in the future. So we're going to talk about hiring for cybersecurity, and we're going to talk about CMMC. They're on the docket, and they're ready to go. This is going to be a whole series of episodes on cybersecurity and manufacturing. Not just manufacturing. Well, there's some unique things to manufacturing that I think are very relevant. So manufacturers produce parts for the Department of Defense and for aerospace and for... There's implications that... For us, that's not for, say, the restaurant industry. This is a big deal. We're dealing with very sensitive data. Exactly. And we're making parts that could otherwise be made in another country should they get our blueprints and whatever kind of information that we have. A lot of manufacturers aren't quite as sophisticated as they could be. The small and medium size, it's quite possible. It's yes. quite possible. Because they're concerned with making quality parts on time. They, that's their mission. Yep. That's what they And they do. need to understand cybersecurity now, or at yeah. least figure out who to partner with. One of my companies, and this happened a while ago, was actually the victim of a cybercrime. And I actually have a client who was also the victim of a cyber attack before cyber crimes were actually in the press. So I don't want to go into details at this point on what happened to my company besides the fact that it didn't end up being as bad as we thought it was. But both of these cyber crimes, there was some loss of money, not a lot. It was like 
recoverable. You know what I mean? We lost a little bit of money over it. So did you know this other manufacturing leader that I know about lost a little bit of money for it. But to be honest, it could have been much worse than what it was. It almost turned into like a lesson. You know how sometimes you make a mistake in your business and it's, yeah, I lost a little bit of money, but I learned something from this. You learn more than what you lost. The <laughs> right, value exactly. of what you learned was way more than what you lost. Exactly. So one of them involved fishing. And then the other one involved ransomware. And through this whole process, I learned a lot and I escaped with some bruises and some cuts and scrapes and stuff like that. But all in all, we're doing okay. And so did this other client of ours that also suffered a little bit of damage from it. But this is a big deal and it's starting to become an even bigger deal. And I think every manufacturer out there needs to be aware of what's going on. I think this type of thing happens a lot more than what people are willing to admit. So I want to be one of the first people to admit that, hey, I was the victim of one of these. And people need to be talking about this a little bit more and not be embarrassed to say, we all need to get behind rectifying the situation. Before we go there, I've got some manufacturing news related to cyber crimes, but I want to ask you what's going on in your business. Everybody in manufacturing is busy right now. The whole economy is just flourishing. So we won another huge account, Virgin Galactic, the spaceship company. We're doing work for them now. We're really amping it up. The AS9100 credentialing really helped. It was another checkbox that we had to go through. But yeah, we're proud to say that flight critical parts now for the spaceship company. Great. Good for you. So I'm going to do things a little bit different this time, Jim. I'm going to actually introduce our guest before I go to the manufacturing news because I want to bring him into the conversation and get his feedback on what we're going to talk about. Our guest for today is no stranger to making chips, Federico Chimarella is the president and CTO of MXD, and he's in charge of developing and implementing the technology vision for the Institute, which I assume is also related to cybersecurity. He was our featured guest on episode 215. If you go to makingchips.com, you click on listen and you type in 215, you can get that episode. And he was also on our panel discussion during IMTS 2018, where he was a panelist along with Titan Gilroy, Tony Neary, and Jessica Ducci. Welcome to Back to Making Chips, Federico. Thanks so much for having me again, guys. It's always a pleasure to be here on with you. As a part of being the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer of MXD, I assume that cybersecurity is under your umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and something maybe we'll talk about later, cyber really has to be a a mantra for the entire business. So the C-suite, the executives, the directors, it can't be on one person. So certainly I'm overlooking things. We do have a director for cybersecurity, John Palvins, who's doing a phenomenal job. He just joined us during the pandemic. Tons of experience in the manufacturing sector, but it's certainly near and dear to me. Again, hearing your story, we've heard that a lot, but I think it's got to be a buy-in from everyone in order to be successful. So for our manufacturing news, I've got a, a press release from the FBI of all places. So this is on the FBI gov and it's their 2020 internet crime report. So for my particular instance, I was my statistics, I actually reported the crime that I was a victim of to the FBI. I never heard back from the FBI, but I did submit my claim to them, but the FBI received 791,790 complaints of suspected internet crime in 2020. Wow. So almost a wow. million instances in the United States, and that's up 300,000 complaints from 2019, and the losses exceeded $4.2 
billion yeah. dollars. It's huge. Is that and it's disgusting? Have, it it is disgusting. I know this is for both like personal and business cybercrime. Do you have any idea how much of this is maybe related to business or just manufacturing in general? Have you heard any of those statistics? I don't know that I've heard uh, specific numbers, but it's not a surprise, especially as you guys know us having gone remote, that it just increases the surface Civil. attack for that. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And that, as you said, is really just what's reported. I'm sure it's a much higher because people don't want to report things or are either embarrassed or not sure, or maybe don't even know that they've been hacked. It is an alarming number. My amount was probably so minuscule compared to some of the other cyber crimes that had happened. The FBI was probably just overwhelmed last year, as they probably still and are. And you never, you I never, never heard, heard back, back from them. What actually helped me was our bank, Signature Bank, got really involved in what happened, retracting the money and really lessening the damage that was caused from the the phishing scam that we are a part of. We got really lucky. We learned a lesson, but the damage could have been much worse. But if you look at, just to give some perspective, the total number of complaints, 2016, you're looking at less than 300,000 complaints, and then 301, 351, 467. And then it just jumps last year to almost 800,000 complaints. And the money goes along with that. 2016, 1.5 billion, then 1.4 billion, 2.7, 3.5, and then 4.2. So the numbers are just getting bigger and bigger. And people really need to be cognizant of this and manufacturers in particular, because what from what I've heard, manufacturers are a target of these criminals. Is that correct, Federico? They are. I think an NDIA a few years back had a study that said, I think 35 to 38% of all cyber espionage attacks are on the manufacturing sector. So I think it was the largest or second largest. And that's true because they want to get information and that information, maybe they're not directly getting that small manufacturer, but if they have access to other systems, then they can get through there. Sometimes you're right, companies or small companies say, oh, no one's going to hack me, but that's the perfect target because you're practicing, you're trying to get into information and you're vulnerable and people don't know that. Right before he left, Paul Van Meter told us a story of someone that he knew that owns a manufacturing company who did get prints and stuff like that stolen through a phishing scam. It does happen. So what I want to do is I want to set up this episode with just some information on the basics of the different cyber crimes that are out there, which I'm sure, Federico, you probably know all about these. And Jim, mean, you may or not mean know so The manner which they yeah, they just try the to take control? Yeah, the, the different categories. So like the first one, the FBI calls it business email compromise. I think another word for that is phishing. Does that, mm-hmm. that sound correct? correct? So this is a scam is carried out when a criminal compromises your business email accounts through social engineering or computer intrusion techniques to conduct unauthorized transfer of funds. Spear phishing, which is close to that, is a targeted attack where the attacker conducts research on the victims before sending a personalized message or email, which is a very sophisticated process. So that was what happened to me. And I don't know if it was phishing or spear phishing. And we've since made a lot of changes to our infrastructure in order to make sure that doesn't happen. The next one is, and this is interesting, I won't go too much into this, but because it's probably more related to like personal, I would say more towards, say, your older generation, I could see scenarios where it does happen in a business environment, tech supports fraud. So this is where a, a criminal pretends like they're involved in some kind of tech support via security, technical support to somebody that just hands over information. But this could happen to you as a company. It could be anywhere from your tech support for your ERP system to your bank to whatever else it can be. Have you heard about this type of crime happening in the business environment? Not in the business environment, but to your point, it could happen. And that's Mm -hmm. what we said. It's really important to be able to 
train your staff to understand that it's not a matter of if you're going to get hacked, but when. And right. so being oh, prepared good, yeah. and trained and understanding that, that is a very valid concern. We should talk about, we should give the metalworking nation now some tips to look for any of these particular instances where they might be fished for information. What do we need to look for? I know I can see if it looks a little fake. But at the end of the day, some people don't aren't that savvy. Yeah. Let me go through the different ones. Yeah. And then you're absolutely right, Jim. Let's talk about how do you mitigate some of these. How do you, yeah, absolutely. How do you tell? How do you know? Yes. How do you know that? Exactly. I mean, are you willing to share what happened to you and in, in, in the capacity that? Yeah. No, I can share down. about that. I might share I about that in a future actually, episode. And, I think it's know. very common. Yeah, it is. It is. So let me go through these different ones. So the next one is ransomware, which we hear about a lot. This happened in that oil situation. And also I think it was- it Well, a, they encrypted his entire account. They encrypted. So yeah, the ransomware And they happens, worked on it for four weeks. Yeah. They, the ransomware criminal activity happens when they encrypt the data on your computer and they hold the data hostage until a ransom is paid. And they either, either they freeze it so you can't use it and then it you know, brings your company down or- or they threaten and or they threaten to sell it on the dark web if you have things that are proprietary that doesn't want to be sent out. Now, this is I know someone in the manufacturing industry who this happened to, this ransomware. And you hear about millions of dollars people having to pay. With him, this was like, I think, gosh, I swear it was like five years ago. So this was very early on. And so he got off, I think probably, he, he did pay the ransom and he got off probably pretty cheap compared to how it is How do you know if you pay the ransom if they're going to release you? You don't, <laughs> what, Jim. You, you really don't. And, and that's an How do you point. trust somebody? That's, <laughs> how do you trust a criminal? How do you trust a criminal? And that's the argument because then some say pay, then they know that I'm a mark for another attack. Right. Right? Potentially. Absolutely. You never know. But yeah, that's a very valid point. And Jim, what's one of the interesting things that I heard about this through some of the research that I've done, these criminals call the people that they hack clients. Yeah, I've heard this. Yes, I have. And they actually, during the COVID thing, they actually said that they were giving their clients a little bit of a break during COVID because they felt bad for them. Can you believe that? It just goes to the depravity of, of the people that do this. So anyway, the next one, and these categories can be, people can argue different categories. This is just the way that I did it. Malware attacks. So this comes from malicious software that's downloaded onto your system without you being aware of its presence to steal, encrypt, or delete sensitive data from your system or alter your system's use without your consent. So like ransomware and Trojans fall within this category also. And then lastly, brute force attacks. So this kind of makes me, so think of Little Pig let me in and they're gonna just going to bust down the door. They're not going to come over and physically punch us. No, but no. they're going to use trial and error to just punch through with a password. So they... It kind of makes it seem as like old school movies where they're like hacking into a system and they're yeah, yeah exactly. And then they have a, a similar technique, which is called credential stuffing, which is where they use an actual compromised list of passwords. So let's just say you have a password with a credit card company. Somebody hacks that credit card company and they see that your email address is associated with this password. Okay. They've got that data. So now they go to all your other systems that you log into and they're like, I know Jim's going to use this password multiple times in other places. So I'm going to hack into his bank account because I know his credit card account now. Yeah, so that's, that's called true. Uh, credential stuffing. And so these people are very sophisticated. Or, or worse yet, I know this has happened on, especially for manufacturing, talk about when you buy, say, like a PLC or some standard device that comes with the standard password. Mm, How yes. often do you not change that? So there are literally lists that NIST has that describes what those vulnerabilities are so the hackers have access to that. I mean, like yeah. they don't even change the password? Don't even change the oh password. My. When you get your router for home, right? Right. How many people do you know probably listen? I know myself, maybe oh. included, that never 
change that to begin with. Once, obviously, right. once I heard that, I did. But one, two, right. three, four, five. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, <laughs> even that happens. So oh, they yeah. ha- they know that. So let's move on to what you asked for, Jim, yeah. which is how do we mitigate some of these things? Federico, as he mentioned, change your default passwords on things like PLCs and whatever else you might have in your company that's connected to the web. Change the passwords. You can even do things like changing the username. So like most things that get set up, they have a username of admin or administrator as like the deep. It doesn't have to be. You can have your admin or your administrator have a different username. Change the username. As far as, so let's go to the business email compromise or phishing. I think one of the ways that you can help mitigate that would be two-step authentication. That's becoming much more popular nowadays. Or they have another thing too, signatures using it. It's called a, Is that when you- a token. Yeah. Have you so ever used still, the tokens? Is that still considered multi-factor? I believe it is because it's yeah. just looking it's just for you to give. Factor. Exactly. Yeah. So that's instead of using a text message. And I know one of the nice things with, I'm a Mac guy, one of the nice things with Mac devices is that you don't even have to enter the code into your computer. It's just, if you're using a Mac computer and a Mac and an iPhone, it just reads it off your iPhone and puts it right in there. That sounds that, a little dangerous, but... No, it's not because it's... I don't think it is. I don't think that... No, it's, they're usually connected, but it's it's just a f- verifying the form. So like right. you said, it's another device making sure it has that information from a trusted source. And just real quick on the passwords thing as well, I think it's important, and this is something John, our director, has talked about, where you look at maybe even sentences. Because I know sometimes you're like, oh, I got to think of a really long or random thing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I like to jog on Sundays. Something <laughs> so you'll remember it. Because then th- that's the pain, like, oh, I've got to remember. remember this long thing. And if you have spaces, and I think he's showed, like, because they use now programs, bots to what you were saying in terms of stuffing, credential stuffing. Oh, just and, like and, go through and, like millions. They'll go of through pop. millions of iterations and they can hack them rather quickly. But if you have long sentences like that, I think they said the sun will burn out before they figure out your password. Basically. Seriously. So I'm not a pro shop user. No, you're not. They're a great sponsor of ours. And we hear a lot about pro shop from you, Jim. And one thing that's kind of surprising to me in, in a really good way for them is as I travel, I spend about a third of my life on the road. Yeah. As I travel, this year I've had like three or four different companies yeah. that are all either using ProShop and have amazing things to say about really? it. Really? Or they're like one time I walked in and they were telling me, yeah, that's ProShop on the screen, but we're just like analyzing which ERP we were going to They're blowing to. up, Nick. I mean, seriously. I know. I mean, just from talking to Paul, he's a busy man and you're just hearing about him everywhere. I was like, look, I don't use ProShop, but everyone I know who does absolutely loves it. So, But in all seriousness, you're going into these shops across America yeah. and you see it on their yeah. screen and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. That's... I've seen that before. And I'm like, is that ProShop? They're like, yeah. yeah. And one of them was just a, right on the fence about to pull the trigger. You know, maybe Paul should run for president in 2024. (laughs) He would have my vote, man. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Yep. What you're saying is to utilize a phrase or a sentence Mm -hmm. for your password? Yeah. Oh my God. That's a lot of characters. (laughs) Yeah, but I know for me, so I don't do that, Federico, but what I do is I use a password generator. Okay. And I'll set the password generator to 20 characters. And that's a long password. And I'll also set it up to be as complex as possible. But then I just, I save those passwords. You know what I mean? Yeah, there are a lot of apps that'll help you that mm -hmm. even manage passwords for you. And Are um, those apps safe though? 
Most of them are. Because uh, that's, you'll, you'll the, that's check. the one thing you don't want to get compromised. Lose your app right? that has all your passwords. Yeah. That would not be good. So another way to help mitigate the, the business email compromise or phishing would be to educate your team. Absolutely. You know, I went to my team and I told them, okay, everybody, we have to do multi-factor authentication. We just can't. We got compromised on our email and we can't let that happen. Ever. Yeah. And again, depending on how you're set up or, or what's available, I know we've done some things with a service called Know Before and they can provide you training resources for what to look in the phishing emails. And so we actually have run campaigns and you can hire companies too. Again, I know depending on cost, but they're probably different models where they'll send safe phishing emails. So to test your employees and to see how they perform and then getting results back. So we've been doing a lot of that because that's really the only way you're going to know if, if people are Is paying attention. Is that a third-party company that'll actually do that? Yeah. Run a test for your company? Ethical hackers. Yeah. And it's really not so much about calling that person out as it is just learning, having that experience. Because I know I've, in my own internal, I'll confess there's at least one that I clicked on <laughs> that I felt bad about. It's just that awareness and training and making mm-hmm. sure that people, like I said, it can't be this dark secret anymore. It's, no. it's part of your culture. Right? It is yep. part of your you culture, know, you for sure. You have to have that embedded into people. Yep, absolutely. So now this is one of the hot ones. I'm going to skip tech support fraud and just let's just hope everybody's smart enough not to fall victim to something well, like that. I think a lot of senior citizens are vulnerable for yeah. tech support yeah. fraud. But it could happen in a business environment. But I, I guess for the sake of brevity, let's move on to ransomware. How, how do we help to mitigate these ransomware attacks? Because this is a big deal for businesses right now. First and foremost, I know we've said it, but I think it bears worth repeating is just training your staff to be aware of not clicking on things when in doubt, just call the, the finance department or call the person that that email is supposedly coming from because sometimes they make it urgent that's they want to the urgency kind of yes stress you out so you're Hurry. like oh, i better respond otherwise i'm gonna get in trouble just call, pick up call. a call like hey right. did you send this do i really need okay i'm gonna do that otherwise just responding via email can always even though we're used to that can be a problem i think that's still number one I would say that obviously you need to, as I've said before, understand that it's not a matter of if you get hacked, but when. What have you done to back your systems up? Have you done anything? Do you have some sort of plan in place, some sort of response plan for that? So go into your business and assume I could my business could be held up for ransomware absolutely. today. Yeah, so absolutely. What, what would happen yeah. if that if I were to go through that? Exactly. Well, we need redundancy. Yeah, right. Yeah, you need backups. But like we talked about with Paul Van Meter, companies that have on-premise servers, and I know this was the case for me, sometimes you're not backing up like you think you are. You think you set it up to back up every day, but what if it stops? And you don't even know it. What if the drive crashes? I know. Yeah. There's so many factors that come into play. And that's why I think for, I know for you and I, Jim, most of our systems are cloud-based. And yeah, with, the, you know, we, reputable we really don't companies. Have we have very little. If my server was held up for ransom, I'd be like, take it. Because right. there's nothing, everything is either, everything is A, not important that's on my server in-house. And B, of those things that are unimportant things, they're all backed up anyway. I wouldn't even worry about that. So in our scenarios, Federico, where Jim and I, we have all cloud-based systems for our most important processes, like our ERP and our communications and payroll and all that kind of stuff. Are we safe because of that? Safer. Or safer. Safer. ER. Safer, or our, yeah. you know. Safer, I would say it just also depends. So if your shop floor is connected to your HR, if so if you're not like saying segmenting your network, it could be that maybe... 
I'm not saying it would, but could be that maybe your cloud service gets hacked, and if it makes it into your, you know, other systems, then you, you might so you're be say, compromised. You're, so. Are you saying that it would be better that the employees are running off one network and the HR and the accounting is running off another network? Potentially, yeah. You could segment hmm. those, and so yeah, that way, right, if right. it does get compromised, you can contain where that happens. Oh, of course, right? of course, yeah. Or especially if you're running things on the shop floor, maybe each cell, if it has PLCs and controllers, that you could run those, again, in a segmented Is that why so we have different logins for visitors as we do for right, employees? Exactly. I have the same thing at car exactly, as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so segmenting is going to do quite a bit to help as well. It really depends, as you guys know, what you have available, what are your resources, and, and what you can do. Because, right, realistically, yeah, you could become a worry wart and go through a checklist of 40 things every day, but then that's time taken away. So you, I think with reason, you have to go through and understand what makes sense. What do I check maybe on a weekly versus monthly versus quarterly, right? In terms of checklists and things to do, but definitely having a plan in place is going to give you more peace of mind. So if something does happen, you already know what to do, especially even checking with your insurance provider. Does my insurance cover cybersecurity? So I know have, I've got a disclaimer, an addendum on mine for cybersecurity. I think that's almost common. I think it's mandatory. You should actually read the fine print a little bit on that, Jim, because cybersecurity has actually turned into its own form of insurance. So I would not be surprised. I'd have to understand yours a little bit, but I would be surprised that it's just an addendum now. It's almost become its own piece of insurance. And maybe when you go up to renewal, you might see some changes in that. Or there's a very limit to what they cover and how much they cover it for. Would the insurance, would they have covered your phishing scam? No. Okay. Why? Because it would have required, I don't know exactly the details, but I definitely went down that path, but it just, it would have required a, a different policy. I think in my case, it would have maybe been a whole, I don't know the D, I don't want to, I'm not an insurance person, but that's something good for us to explore in the future. But it's turning into such a big deal that it's becoming a separate policy in most situations. You might not be covered to the extent that you think you are. So I would look into that side of it. Let's talk about MXD. Okay. This is the National Center for Cybersecurity in Manufacturing. So what exactly is MXD doing in the cybersecurity space for manufacturing? That's a great question. And I'll highlight kind of four areas that we're focusing on. So the first area is really around education, awareness, and training. What do we do to get the word out? So obviously having conversations with you guys in this great show is one way, but we're doing a lot more, right? We're doing road shows. We're creating content and working with partners that have content to really let the manufacturing industry know that here are the things that you need to be concerned with. This is These are real attacks and these are things that can potentially ruin you. They say more than 60% of businesses that face a breach end up shutting down. How many? I think it's 60%. Six or, zero, or, 60%. Or, or more. And I think within the six months, I'll, I'll double check that fact, but I know it's a pretty high number that if a small business faces a cyber breach, that more than likely they're going to be shutting down. Wow. I think that's what it was within six months. You talk about crying and drinking. That's probably what a lot of people turn yeah. to. So that education and training is a big piece. So do they just go to mxdusa.org and just yeah. look at some of the articles yeah. and some content? Some of the articles. Yeah. As I said, we have a road show. We know not everyone can come here because we have great demonstrations here. So we're actually taking that on the road. Obviously, we were going to start in 2020, given all the circumstances we faced, we did most of those virtually, but we'll be back on the road this year. 
The second area is around workforce development. And so we'll talk, I think, a little bit about that later. But really, it's understanding what are the critical roles that we need to focus on for the future. So again, we're interested in supporting current manufacturing workforce. And so we all know that we need good machinists, good welders, but that's not something that we're solely focused on. We're really focused on what are the future workforce needs, right? So the cybersecurity specialists, AI specialists, those kinds of, what are those skill sets? So we're focusing on that and we're doing some efforts where we're creating training programs with partners like the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, where we have an operational technology cybersecurity program that now is being offered. And we'll be building off of basically our hiring guide, which has laid out 247 roles in cybersecurity and manufacturing. The next thing is really focusing on tools and services. So low-cost tools and services for manufacturers. And when I say manufacturer, I'm talking about the small and medium businesses, right? Because um, generally the large companies have a good, they have a CISO or they've got a CTO that's focused on cyber. They're doing a lot of good things, but small businesses, they At, don't we have We all wear a lot of hats. Yeah, right. wear a lot One of One day hats. I'm quoting jobs, the next day I'm yeah. researching cybersecurity. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe- <laughs> Or getting us ready for an AS9100 audit. Exactly. What we're hoping to launch here in Q3 is actually a marketplace. So this will be a low cost. You can come in and get an assessment done on where your gaps are, say for CMMC or NIST 181. And then there'll be some tools or services that you can then select based on those gaps. So again, the idea is here is to provide a one-stop shop for these small businesses to be able to become better at their cybersecurity posture. And then really that fourth pillar is just around standards and compliance. So understanding, like uh, we were conversing offline about CMMC and these standards, how are they going to impact business? How can we work with government to understand what the real needs are and how we can translate that into opportunities that will be beneficial for industry? So I know, Jason, you're talking about, yes, it's important for manufacturing because we manufacture things. But if we go back to, and I know it's not manufacturing related, but just to highlight my point, that huge hack that Target faced when they lost all that money. Well, that was money, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, it was all the credit card information. Yes. They actually hacked in through the HVAC system. What? Yeah. So there there was oh. a bug in there oh. that they knew how to get in. And from there, they jumped. That's why I'm talking about segmentation. Oh, Are you, yes. kid- Are you kidding me? I can control the thermostat from at my office right now off my phone and that's serious? running on the same network. Right, right. Oh. so the famous hacks that have happened usually happen outside of the manufacturing confines and they just find ways in. But I think it's important to note that, that yeah, it's critical for those pieces. So those are like the four main areas. And I think really what's important to note is that because we also do research in digital manufacturing, we always have cyber elements to that. Oh right? yeah, I'm you sure. you can't go digital without being cyber. Well, uh, and so. we'll get to this in, you know, the the next episode, cybersecurity as you guys have in your documentation is everybody's role. Yeah, absolutely. it really is. Yeah. For a manufacturing leader, what should be the first thing they start doing to create like a strategic plan for cybersecurity? So, let's assume like Jim said, you're wearing a lot of hats, you're quoting jobs, you're working on CMMC, you're having dinner with clients, you don't have a CTO. What should be the first thing that a smaller medium-sized manufacturing leader does to protect their company? First things first is just start somewhere. Recognize that you're not going to get it right the first go. Recognize that you could run into problems, but if you don't start, then you're really going to face a lot of problems. So I think creating a plan, emergency response plan, training your employees, right? Having standard application control 
programs, instead of antivirus, you can do a- application controls, or they're called whitelisting. So there are only specific programs that are known to run, say, on your machines. Because really, that's something I should probably mention. A lot of the focus has been around the IT, right? So information technology. But the hackers are now focusing on the OT, operational technology, so equipment, the machines, because those the PLCs, things are, all the PLCs, kind of yeah. all those things. The so, HVAC system. Exactly. So how do we protect those? So how would a machine tool be vulnerable if it wasn't attached to the internet? Maybe someone could come by with a USB. Let's say it infects the machine, then what happens? It could encrypt it. It could take data from it. It could maybe, at some point, you'd connect it, maybe would then connect to your system. It could cause uh, damage to okay, it. So, yeah, like, okay, I get it. I just, I'm yeah. trying to well, think of, no, if yeah. your system is closed and your machine tool is not connected to the uh, network, then yes, it's less susceptible. It would, you have to have right. a physical attack, but right. like most machine tools are connected to your network, right? I don't think ours are. You don't think yours yeah. are? I'm pretty no. sure it's USB based. But even so, if it were infected, right, un- unknowingly, because maybe guy went to, you know, one of your guys went to a, a show, right, IMTS. And again, I'm, this maybe I shouldn't say this, but you can get an infected thumb drive, plug it in, not know. It takes information, then that thumb drive goes to another place and, and or, or goes into the guy's computer. Which Yes, I, I understand how the process of that yeah, for yeah, sure. Right. What I was getting at is just having those plans in place understanding that there are simple, low-cost things that you can do and just get started, really start that journey so that you have something in place so that as you're growing and you're creating that culture of making sure that people understand that this is something you take seriously from your level so everyone else should be taking it seriously as well. So it's not like um, I'm telling you, hey, do this, but then I'm showing you things or or doing inappropriate things on my computer or or with equipment without following the right protocols. So your local IT company, somebody has an IT company that helps them with their network and all that kind of stuff. Is that somebody that you should be relying on to help you with some of these cybersecurity concerns? I think you can have that conversation and, and ask them, what are they doing? What have they seen? And I think as you have that conversation, you'll start to see whether or not they're taking it seriously or what they're doing. And I think that's something you can shop around because I think companies are being more savvy. So it's a customer asking the right questions and trying to understand what benefits they can get from their company rather than just the IT services. But what are you doing to help protect me? Because again, you could do all the things, but now you're using this third-party service and they get breached. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately it's never ending, right? Yeah. But you have to just keep that mindset. And that's why I say- This is the stuff that makes you wake up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Federico, this has definitely been eye-opening. And as somebody that has experienced- It's been ear-opening for me. Yeah. As somebody that's experienced some of this, it's still given me a little bit more to talk about. So I appreciate that. And we're going to have you stay because we're going to talk about hiring and cybersecurity in just a moment. But let's close out this- episode. Hiring? So, and so, want, want to give a little preview to what that what, um, what's to come with well, that Well, uh, Federico, how many roles did you talk about? 247. Yeah, Jim, again, it's enough to make your head spin, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. What did you learn here today, Jim, that you think would be the first thing to take some action on? In the simplest of terms, we need to change our passwords more often. They need to be more complicated. There shouldn't be redundancy with password usage. I love these ethical hackers. I'd love to bring in somebody and just to see how vulnerable our system is. We we should bring an ethical hacker on the show. We should, absolutely. So those are the things that I learned today that I probably am going to take some immediate action on. It would be bad if one of these systems shut you down so you couldn't be making chess. Really, we're only on three platforms and they're all online. So we're not spread... The network is really not 
any proprietary information on our network. Yep, so same here. Someone would have to compromise the the cloud, the network first. It's just one of those things that I said, you just go through scenarios. And so they're called tabletop exercises where you can also bring people in and walk through how do you handle situations that sometimes are cyber related and sometimes are not because that line's always gray, right? You, if you lost information or if there was a weather storm or something, right? And it implicated, you can always have these perfect storms of things happening that end up really compromising. So just going through those are, are, are also great things to, to work with your employees. Running a business is not only about making chips. But in our industry, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.